Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning into this week's Food for Thought a podcast that's on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Nutrition advice has taken on a whole new urgency as people try to find the best diet for health and happiness as the world finally opens up again. But unfortunately, with advice constantly changing and with competing and even contradictory recommendations appearing from reputable sources, this week's Food for Thought sees registered nutritionist Charlotte Radcliffe and I unearth the latest misinformation and sort fact from fiction once and for all. Hello, Charlotte. Hello, how are you? Oh, thank you for asking. I'm really well and so excited to be recording this episode with you today. So have I got you on a good day to do this? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, to be honest, I'm delighted that you even approached me to talk about this because I think, you know, when we're talking about myths, it's it just feels like it's got to a stage where it's got out of hand. And not only is that really frustrating as a health professional and as a consumer as well to be honest but it can also be really dangerous and it does really worry me so I think you know absolutely right it should be addressed I think there's just so many people who have you know perhaps don't have qualifications in nutrition are giving out nutrition advice you know they're posting lots of information on their social accounts they're writing books on the subject and they're they're really talking with an element of authority aren't they Um, And I completely understand why people would get sucked into it and believe some of the claims. Well, it's quite, I think it's almost quite unnerving for us health professionals as well, because we we try and put things right or, you know, we don't have all the answers, but we're honest about the fact we don't have all the answers. Whereas I think a lot of pills and powders and I think this new biohacking, you know, with a whole stack of take every vitamin under the sun and do enemas and all, all these sorts of different difficult 
and different wacky things. I think you're right, they, they kind of sound appealing because they give people something that they can do now. So is there any truth, if we start with this question, to loading up on the supplements to optimize our physical and cognitive performance? Okay, so I mean, yeah, biohacking, wow, what, what a subject to, to talk about. You know, it's becoming <laughs> such a popular concept. I think, should, should we just start with, you know, looking at the definition of biohacking? I'm just conscious that not everybody will necessarily know what this means. Um, basically, it's a buzzword term used to describe a do-it-yourself type approach when it comes to health and well-being. And there's, there's different levels, some that are not necessarily nutrition-led, but, um, you know, really quite dangerous um just just the thought of them you know this is called grinder biohacking where you're looking at the human body as a machine and using technology implanted into the body such as computer chips magnets and data transmission transmitters um or this whole approach of diy biology and this this includes mm. things like scraping your own cells and looking them under a microscope in your own home um, it's things like performing blood transfusions from a young person to an old person. It's, you know, even things like performing fecal transplants. It's, you know, it's, it is um, really, you know, strange stuff. Um, but, you know, a lot of these, you know, can be really dangerous and sometimes with fatal consequences as well. But I think if we, if we go back to the original question of, you know, talking about supplements and the nu nutrition side of biohacking, you know, for some people, biohacking might mean, you know, very small incremental changes to make improvements, such mm. as through the use of supplements. But although they often can start small, it can escalate quite quickly. And there's that endless pursuit of trying to, you know, get better, you know, get cleverer, get stronger, uh, getting you know, healthier, and basically trying to be that superhuman, I guess. Um, but like, like with most fads, you know, a lot of what is sold is unregulated, it's untested. Um, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence around it all. Um, and there's, there's also this, I get, you know, I mean, we understand it, don't we, you know, in terms of why people would want to try and, you know, take this route, you know, to giving them that sense of control over their own biology in times when sometimes the world can, the external world and environment can often seem quite, um, quite stressful, quite uncontrollable. And mm. there is, you know, obviously also this increasing movement of people who are rejecting science and we're seeing this to an extent, have seen this to an extent um, with vaccinations recently. But yeah. You know, modern medicine has obviously advanced so, so much, but, you know, we're still waiting for the cure of, you know, many chronic conditions and diseases. And you can understand why that frustrates people. You know, people want to, you know, some people do want to be proactive. But, you know, when it comes to supplementations, a lot of the research that has been done, you know, it, it's done in isolation. It's not necessarily done of, you know, with people who are taking this supplement and that supplement and that one and, you know, putting it into a combination. There's so many side effects that, you know, it, it can, you know, distort the effectiveness effectiveness of prescription drugs or mm. the birth control pill and you know people do need to be aware of those types of side effects uh, it's you know, worrying. If you look, it really is it really is and you know there's, there's this whole area as well about you know trying to 
enhance your brain power or you know you're going to get that promotion from work but if you take this this pill you know it doesn't mm. work like that the circuits around our human cognition are very very complicated even experts who've studied this for decades and decades you know don't have all the answers because it is that that complex um yeah and and i think a lot of these things do often come down to a placebo effect so you know if if people believe their mental performance is increased because they've taken a few pills you know it could actually be down to mind over matter if you believe you're going yeah. to do better then you've actually got more chance of doing better um but it's I mean, just there's, this... a, there's a lot isn't there out there what do you think though if we were to summarize all of it what do you think is the most absurd thing that you've seen marketed recently Oh, goodness, I, I come across the most absurd things on a daily basis. It is literally quite unreal. But I think um, I, I keep seeing this um, vitamin B, B3 uh, niacin, which is really is starting to be held up as this um, real sort of super nutrient that, you know, we should all be taking. And actually, you know, niacin is in a lot of different foods. And unless you've got high cholesterol and your GP has advised you take it um, under prescription and medical supervision, then for most people, supplementation just isn't necessary. And this whole craze around it um, is, is really concerning because it is... Um, it's you know really promoting it at significantly high quantities. Um, we're talking like two thousand milligrams a day, which is just ridiculous. Um, but then worse than that, it's not just about you know taking this supplement of you know high dosage um, niacin, but it's then spending time in infrared saunas for a hot detox. And you know one of the, mm. the the main symptoms of high niacin supplementation, one of sort of the side effects or some of the side effects is that it can cause burning, it can cause itching or flushing skin um, and dizziness and a drop in blood pressure. So if you couple all of those potential side effects and then you're gonna jump in a sauna straight after having that, you know, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, over time, that kind of high dosage supplementation can could lead to, to liver damage. Um, and I, I just find it really, really um, upsetting, actually, you know, it's, it's a dangerous thing to promote. Um, and it can have really, you know, negative and dangerous uh, results. Just hearing you go into depth on some of the things that obviously we know, we know that it preys on the vulnerable. And we know we all desperately want to do something like you said, if you're ill, and you want to get better, there's something that of course, you want to do. But it's just, I think people lack or these people promoting these things lack the understanding of the influence they have when they do it because they think they're doing the right thing because it worked for them and surely it'll work for everyone else. That's where I think the lack of understanding comes in. But in terms of when someone sees someone promoting this pseudoscience, what advice would you give them? What should they do if they see someone promoting this sort of nonsense? What, what can we do? Okay, um, it, it's difficult, <laughs> you know, in reality, it is difficult because pseudoscience is everywhere, you know, and this is not just isolated to food and supplements, it's, you know, on your toiletries, it's on your makeup, it's, you know, wherever, um, you know, and th th there's a lot of bold statements using, you know, quite scientific jargon, giving the false impression that they're supported by laboratory research, but, you know, you know they have no basis of, or scientific fact or evidence to support the claims. Um, 
I think that the, the sheer scale of the wellness industry makes it notoriously difficult to regulate. And sometimes the regulations that do exist are often quite difficult to interpret as well. And there's also different standards in different countries as well. You know, we, we have seen so, so, so much in this area. So, but I would say, you know, if you, if you see a claim, I would, I would always, you know, say, you know, be skeptical about it, be inquisitive mm. and know and try and get your brain to understand that the marketing messages have been perfectly curated to make you feel a certain way and ultimately get you to buy the product. If you see something that looks too good to be true, it probably is. Um, you know, if, if the marketing is trying to give you a miracle or something with super magical powers or maybe a one size fits all type approach or even a reliance on that anecdotal evidence, then, you know, it, it really doesn't mean it's going to have the same effect on you. I think the, the main things I, I would say to avoid would be anything that is kind of marketed as a detoxing type product or mm. anything that perhaps is going to make you or trying to make you fearful of foods yeah. or, or different ingredients, you know, as a singular um, area. But um, yeah, because no think, one single item is going to have a major impact, is it really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I guess, in a way, we need to change the perception as well that slim means healthy, because I mean, this is going on to a kind of different area now from the actual products themselves. But the people selling the products, this isn't always the case. But I think a lot of the time in marketing images and on social media, the perception is a slim body equals health. And uh, it's just, you can have slim people that are not healthy. It just seems wrong, doesn't it, that we have this mindset on one body type? Yeah, I mean, much of our society is fixated on body size in general um mm. and that that's that has been the case for many many years and you know we are seeing you know a lot of positive changes actually um but in reality it is going to take a long time for any real changes um especially as um things like you know government are you know focusing so much um emphasis on weight within their policies and their yeah. interventions oh. and their language so it's like it kind of needs to come from the top to to filter to really genuinely filter into society and then that is the language but it's also coupled with things like airbrushing images that we you know we see everywhere mm -hmm. i guess you know ultimately we we need to change the goal from wanting to be slim to wanting to be healthy and like you said, yes. you know, just, just because someone is slim, it doesn't automatically equate to them being healthy. If you just focus on the cosmetic side, the health side can often be forgotten. And that's when, you know, people, for people desperate to lose weight, they can resort to really faddy ways of doing this. You know, those quick fixes, those removing food groups, taking dangerous pills. So that can all make them unhealthy. But also, you know, being overly slim has health implications too you know yeah. if we're talking things like anemia or irregular periods a lower immune system so you know the, we, we just need to start shifting and continuing to shift that focus of developing healthier habits rather than restriction um, around it mm. 
because it is so ingrained and we did a podcast episode a few weeks ago and we spoke to the doctor on there about the fact that the medical system as well seems to have such a focus on weight because I guess they have to have a way of defining things but it's created so many problems because people do view slim as being less likely to get certain diseases and of course a lot of the literature does actually say that it your weight does impact your health outcomes but we know that it's way more complex than just staying a saying a blanket statement like that it's it's anyway it's a big whirlwind of things that need to change um and some of the foods that we've mentioned that have a lot of buzz around them uh, that these people promote let's go into them in depth individually so we've got things like um, what's i see recently on the biohacking thing oh i take my apple cider vinegar every morning with my turmeric coconut oil and perhaps i'll throw in a bit of charcoal um <laughs> where did these stem from who on earth came up with the idea that let's just introduce these items into our diet because they're good for us oh it's one of those you know it starts with one thing you know one idea one concept that again works for one person therefore you know mm. it's extrapolated to a you know global population but um i mean it's come at a time where the interest in nutrition is like never before so i mean mm. that's great i mean that's that that has positives as you know a nutrition professional that that's great that people are interested in nutrition um but it's this whole industry that's kind of you know really preying on people they're preying on vulnerable people um but also really targeting people who have the money to try different concoctions you know a lot of these things are very very expensive i think um social media has a big role to play in this you know as do mm. celebrities influencers wellness experts if if we were in the same room Ray, you'd see me when i say experts would say that doing um inverted commas you know but basically you know people that just want to make money from it but i think you know it's not always intentional that people give bad advice or promote products that can be dangerous because you know maybe i'm naive but not, not many people i would say intentionally want to harm others through their advice the problem is they just don't know the possible consequences because most of them are not educated in nutrition science um mm. but i think you know a lot of nutrition is a preventative approach isn't it you know it's long term the effects are not always yeah. visible so you we kind of coupled that with I want these results now and that the marketing is playing a part in creating narratives that are compelling and um, they're based on cherry-picked evidence making that you know mistake of correlation is the same as causation you know which obviously it's not um in order to support their claims and I think the whole yeah. area of nutrition it, it feels like it's it's almost been artificially or that the power of nutrition has been artificially inflated. Um, you know, nutrition yes. is is great, you know, that's why we went into, into it in the first place mm. to study. It's, it's fascinating, but it's only one part of a much bigger picture. You know, sleep is so important. You know, there, there's so many other factors that are sometimes as important, depending on the individual. Um, but I think you just, nutrition seems to be this holy grail now of, um, kind of just been inflated to such a level that oh, people it's 
Yeah, it's odd. Sorry to interrupt. I was just thinking about if we take charcoal as an example, I mean, how on earth people can think that if you add charcoal into your diet, it means you're eating well? Because I've heard those things being said before. I have charcoal, therefore I'm taking all the toxins out of my body. Whereas charcoal is only used in extreme circumstances with a doctor, perhaps an ER doctor or an a, what we call A&E over here in emergencies, because you know, we need to do something in the stomach and remove drugs essentially from the body or alcohols, but it should not be available in my opinion for common consumption in the way it is. I think things have been completely blown out of proportion, like you said, because instead of focusing what we need to take out, it's always what we can take out, what we can take out. Let's take a pill that's gonna take out this. What should we be including, Charlotte? Why, why do we need to focus on putting things in? Okay, yeah, you're, you're totally, totally right. Um, I, I mean, obviously, you know, nutrition is is quite personalised. But if we, if we look at, you know, from a population perspective, I would say one area is to try and increase plants. Um, you know, we are starting to see this. I think people are starting to realise that plants um, give us, you know, nutritional benefit, obviously also benefits for the planet as well. Um, there's kind of a, a loose target of 30 plants a week that, you know, people are, are starting to strive for because there's a lot of research that um, that documents that, you know, having this type of quantity is, is, is so beneficial, you know, particularly for giving a diverse gut microbiome. Um, but, you know, th th this is not about, you know, excluding things like meat, you know, obviously if, if, if you want to, of course, that's great. But striving for 30 plants a week, you know, that sounds a lot, you know, especially when you first start out. But actually, it's a really great way of including a variety of fruit and veg and plants into your diet, which, um, you know, ultimately is going to give us a diverse gut microbiome. Um, I'm not just talking fruit and veg here, you know, things like nuts and seeds, whole grains, uh, even things like herbs and spices, loads of different pulses. Um, and I think there's also this... Um, myth around you know it it you know it, it doesn't have to be expensive or time consuming it can be really quite simple things like adding dried herbs and spices into dishes uh keeping mm. a range of frozen fruits and vegetables in the freezer um but it's ultimately about trying to include more plants into most of your meals so and that could be as simple as putting a, a sprinkler nuts and seeds on your breakfast it could be having a side salad as part of a meal um and this focus on you know fruit and veg in particular you know we we know that we should be having five fruits and veg a day um but you know the majority of our population doesn't um and i think you know aiming for that variety of colors um that rainbow would, you know, is a really good thing to do. I think another thing, you know, is to, to pull out is fiber, isn't it? You know, obviously, you're mm. gonna, if you do increase your plant consumption, you're going to naturally get um, more fiber in your diet. But it is a really important one, in particular, to pull out is, you know, we, it, we're not getting enough. Um, in the UK, you know, we're, we're consuming about 18, 19 grams a day when it should be, we should be targeting about 30 grams. So we're still, you know, a really long way off, um, getting that and there's just so many benefits with fiber um and what we see is you know particularly when people are trying to lose weight they often resort to lowering or cutting out carbohydrates and this is where most of, or a lot of fiber is found um yeah 
I think um, also... It's always the first to go, isn't it? It's like the, the it is, calms. Yeah. It just seems it seems people always like to comment on soy or carbs, um, eggs. Why why is it the contention around these particular food groups? Well, I think I mean I guess advice such as eat a balanced diet it's it's quite a boring statement, isn't it? So you know, I think we we just see this overcomplication or an attack surrounding certain parts of what constitutes a balanced diet or certain foods within it and it goes back to you know, this misunderstanding or misinterpreting science in order to uh, get to a conclusion that uh, suits that particular person or company uh, so yeah I mean, there's 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 so many myths um around that yeah yeah, a hundred percent. And like we say, they are myths. We actually know that soy is really beneficial for health. And I actually have a whole other episode on that topic completely. And a lot of it's dietary choices. And I do think that the conversation around what people prefer, like their preference or their way of living life. Sometimes I think a lot of people want to push the way they see the world or the way they eat food onto others. And that's also when we get into dangerous territory because you know, not everybody has the same ethical beliefs or sustainable um, or way of eating sustainably or they want to do it. It's, that's the problem with being a human being is that everybody is going to believe differently, don't they? Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we all do see things differently, I think, but the um, the media has a role to play in this. I think the media in general is not necessarily well known for interpreting scientific uh, conclusions from some reports or research reports. So, you know, we, we as consumers, we have this um, kind of headline of, you know, one day something's really good for us and the next day it's bad for us. So as consumers, it's very, very difficult to digest that type of information and really understand what actually is good for us. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. It's it's also looking at the evidence in 
Inako, I think it's understanding how to read evidence. There's there's a lot now of people online using examples of one study to fit their argument, but not understanding that it's just one of hundreds of for and against that very topic. And if we pick organic and free range food, for example, that's not always necessarily better, is it, than than people opting for non-organic produce? No, I mean, there, there's, there's, there are benefits to it, but, you know, if we look at from a maybe an environmental or sometimes an ingredient perspective, but if we look, you know, purely from a nutritional perspective, overall, there isn't much difference. So, you know, it really does boil down to personal preference and, and also your budget, you know, organic foods do tend to be more expensive. There is, um, you know, some products that are sometimes depending again depending on which research you read um that have been shown to be more nutritious but they're, there's they're very few and far between they tend to be things like organic milk um that contains more omega-3 fatty acids than non-organic um and then subsequently the uh the the products associated with milk such as butter cheese yogurt cream that, that sort of thing um, mm. and this is because of the differences in the animal feed you know they, they tend to have a more grass fed um, approach or, or feed um, but I think what is important to I guess get convey is that when we look at products such as plant-based milks which have this real health halo and fortunately mm. you know a lot of manufacturers are fortifying these products and um, but organic varieties, they're not allowed to fortify. So you may have this belief that I'm choosing this product because it's organic, therefore it must must be good for me. But if you're lacking nutrients because of your dietary choices, such as your or ethical choices, you, you know, you're taking you might be taking foods out or a food group out of your diet, then you know, organic is not always the best way to go in order to um, try and get some of those added nutrients. No, exactly. And and I think a lot of the time, um, you may be cutting out other items you would normally consume or nutrients you consume by making these choices with free from. Free from has, was invented for people that perhaps have celiac disease and cannot tolerate gluten or wheat. Um, that, for people with conditions, not for the general public to see it as being healthier, because often it's damaging, isn't it, when we suddenly cut things out because we can be very deficient in nutrients. Mm, and we're absolutely seeing that, you know, in, in real life, you know, people, you know, you see these trends like the vegan diets, like gluten-free, um, carb lowering or sometimes exclusion. And, you know, that's, you know, that, that they're perceived to be a healthy um, option. However, that that's often comes with misinformation or lack of in, information mm. about what those foods that are now not coming into the diet, what what were they giving your body before? And you know, th things like um, you know, if we look at vegan products, you know, just as an example, or sorry, vegan diets as an example, you know, it's things like iron and calcium and vitamin, vitamin B12 and iodine, mm. those sorts of, they're really, really important. Um, and if, if you're choosing to not get them through uh, things like meat and dairy, then they have to be replaced. 
um, you, and you can, there are, you know, it's, it's perfectly possible to have a healthy balanced diet without consuming meat and dairy, just using those as examples. Um, but you have to do it in an educated way and you have to do your research to know what you're lacking uh, through those dietary choices and how and where are you going to, to get them back in your diet. And even if we jump into the fact that some processed foods aren't always unhealthy. So the way that we describe produce, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think that has a misconception that's incorrect as well. Yeah, I mean... Firstly, pretty much everything is processed to an extent and the view that we should avoid anything processed or processed too much is simply just scaremongering. It's not helpful. It's not meaningful. Um, I think it's very closely correlated with that whole focus of fresh is better than frozen or raw is better than cooked. And But I think, you know, as with most things, you know, there's a there's disadvantages to technologies like processing. But, you know, that, there's consider for what our lives would be like without it. You know, some foods simply wouldn't exist. Things like bread, oil, yogurts, um, our population. A can of chickpeas. Like that yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. it's, it's those health halo foods, peanut butter, chickpeas, uh, plant-based milks. <laughs> um, you know, people don't necessarily equate to them to being ultra-processed foods, but they actually mm. are. Um, and I think, you know, our, our population would be at risk of nutrient deficiencies and some nutrients legally have to be added during processing. So processing can really help our populations meet dietary recommendations. Yeah. Um, it can extend the accessibility of products to a wider population, including those that live in impoverished societies. We think yeah. something like a, a powdered milk. You know, if people can't afford to buy fresh milk or it isn't accessible to them, then powdered milk is an ultra processed example. But it's it's full of nutrients that, you know, otherwise these those people or those communities um, would possibly be um, lacking. And let, let's not yeah, forget, you know, processing also, you know, sorry um, to interrupt. Um, process also makes our food safe, doesn't it? You know, this mm. it, it prevents the proliferation of microorganisms in our food. So, you know, all in all, you know, processing has you know, loads of uh, advantages and there isn't a, a robust system or a well-defined system that agrees with the classification of processing. So we have the NOVA one, which is the most commonly used and the, the most mm. widely known, but it doesn't take into consideration the nutrients. And so again, it becomes this very general term, um, which oversimplifies a very complex global food system. So mm. I think instead of vilifying foods based on the level of processing that's been undertaken, I would in, instead focus more on the added ingredients to those products, such as salt, such as sugar, such as saturated fat, as many processed foods that we buy in supermarkets or have in restaurants, you know, can be high in these. Um, I think I'm just I mean, the smiling other... as you say it, Charlotte, because oh. it's true, isn't it? But go on, continue. I keep sorry, I keep wanting to go, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> Um, I think the other the, the other real key thing that I'm you know so passionate about is is just trying to move away from the snobbery or the elite nature yes. around food, which is absolutely rife, and it's it's almost making people think that they can't possibly be healthy if they mm. consume processed foods. You know, we've mentioned a few already. Um, 
also, you know, superfood powders or um, hummus that you buy in the supermarket, vitamin capsules that we've you know, spoken about. You know, they're all made in factories. And ultimately, our bodies don't recognize if something has come from a factory or how processed it is. It recognizes the nutrients that it's, it provides. You know, I think just sometimes we, we overcomplicate things, don't we? You said exactly what I was going to say. It is the, the upsetting thing I find is those evangelical type of voices that have no appreciation for public health and people living in different societies with different welfare, poverty, like you said, income, access to resources. They have no consideration of it whatsoever. And they preach that the only way is fully organic, grow it from your garden. Some people don't even have a garden. You know, it's just not, I didn't have a garden for years in London. I feel like a lot of the things that are preached are making food out, like you said, to be this all or nothing halo or devil type thing. And it is so worrying. And you can really spot a true health professional from those voices, actually, if it's a good red flag thing for our listeners. If you see somebody that is demonizing anything or saying that it's their way or the highway or this is the only way to eat and they'd never touch a bag of crisps or they'd never touch a um, anything that's remotely processed, that's avoid them. That is a huge red flag. And I guess it stems to education. Do you think, um, or I'm sure you do actually, I don't want to put the words in your mouth, but the education from childhood and during school, because you've got little ones and, you know, I've got my son and I think, oh, I want him to be taught this stuff at school. What do you think about that? Oh, it, it is so important. And another area I'm actually really, really passionate about, you know, much of our habits yeah. and our relationship with food stems from childhood. So there definitely mm. needs to be a shift in how children are educated um, to help, you know, the current generation, but also generations um, to come. There is, there's so much that parents can do. And I know it's a very difficult one to navigate, particularly when you're getting all these conflicting messages. But, you know, right from the very start of weaning phase and, you know, as kids grow up, um, you know, really, really important. I think, you know, kids learn and copy from their grown-ups. So it is important that the parent or carrier, carer is also eating the foods that we're expecting kids to eat. And, and sometimes mm. it's a case of the parent almost unlearning um, in some cases, what they learn as a child, you know, those whole you know, statements around um, you won't get dessert in, unless you finish, you know, your, your, your meal, just one bite, um, you better eat all your vegetables, you know, those sorts of mm. things are, are just not helpful. I think, you know, practicing division of responsibility can be a really useful tactic. And this is where the parent or carer provides the meal and the child chooses how much and what to eat from that meal. It can be a really powerful thing. It really teaches the child about hunger cues and fullness. Um, and I think, you know, this doesn't just apply to children, but this whole terminology of good and bad foods and, yeah. you know, we, we need to come up with a better system. I think there definitely needs to be more focus and more education around cooking in schools mm. and what foods and nutrients can do for us. And, and about food, it's not, this is more than just nutrition. It's like, where does our food come from? Even things yeah. like just going and picking some strawberries, you know, in your local strawberry picking um, farm, you know, that's a really, really, you know, useful way of trying to um, 
let children understand that those strawberries are not grown in that plastic punnet that they might see in the I supermarket. Know. They oh, come from uh -huh. real life organisms. Um, yeah, living plants. I think, yeah, the, the more knowledge, um, yeah, that, that can be done in a really fun way. It shouldn't be, have to be, you know, anything, you know, major, major, but there does have to be purpose with this. And I think also, you know, if we're talking about in schools as well, there's been so much done on school dinners. And I think people who have been part of that continued improvement process should absolutely be applauded for it, you know, because it, it is no easy thing. Um, no. But we have to keep persevering with it. You know, we're not there yet. And, um, you know, for example, in my children's school, they have a pizza Friday. Um, and that's really held up um, on a pedestal as this real treat day. Um, and I'm mm. not for a minute saying that kids shouldn't have pizza. You know, my kids have pizza, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not about not having it. But the point is, why, why always have it on a Friday? Why not just subtly yeah, integrate it during the week so it's not held on that pedestal? Um, and then there's the counter argument. I can see, I'm with you, but I can see the counter argument is, but give them something to look forward to and everybody loves pizza. So where's the harm in, you know, getting them through to Friday? It, there's that kind of attitude and it is complex. And there are both sides to this equation, constantly debating anything to do with public health, nutrition or education, isn't there? Constantly, there's a, but I, I'm with you. A lot of the people we see in the nutrition clinic, um, it's all it's all fish and chips was Friday night, takeaway night, and developed into adulthood. And the it's just awful. The the relationship with food can be really damaged by these associations with food. And equally, it almost makes pizza out to sound like a bad food. Like if yeah. we go back to that terminology of good and bad, because you can only have it on a Friday, and it's a real mm -hmm. treat. Whereas maybe we wouldn't grow up with those types of attitudes if it was just accepted over time. It would just no, be no big deal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I agree. Anyway, I've, I've gone, <laughs> I've gone overboard on that one. I love. I could talk about that subject forever, um, which is why I'm making sure in in the book I'm currently writing there will be lots about relationships with food because I think it's an important part of nutrition. But we do have questions from our listeners for you, Charlotte. So. We'll start with Amelia, and I think this is a really good one. She said, why is full fat healthier than low fat? It just doesn't make sense. And that's exactly how she wrote it down. Doesn't make sense. Why? It doesn't make sense, <laughs> yeah. Um, I agree. It, it, you know, it's, um, you know, again, it goes back to that whole, you know, one one day something's good for us and the next day it's, um, you know, completely bad for us. But I think, you know, this is correlated with this whole um, nature of processing. You know, I think people see that full fat is you know, almost like a more natural version of a semi-skimmed or a skimmed milk um, because it's gone through less steps. Um, that's, you know, correct to an, an extent. Um, but nutritionally, you know, you know, we have to put foods like this in context because what is healthier for, for one individual is not necessarily healthier for another individual. Um, so, you know, we all have our own calorie and nutrient needs. Um, and so for some people, full fat is going to be better. Sometimes a slightly less fat is going to be better. Mm -hmm, exactly. And it depends on that individual and what their dietary requirements are. There's a place, there is a place, isn't there, for... Um for a multitude of options in a way. And then we've got a question from uh, Lexi. Let me hear Lexi's. I'm tempted, to, oh, oh no, so I'm tempted to try a detox tea. 
they wouldn't sell it if it was dangerous, right? And she's put a question mark after that. So she thinks they're not dangerous because they're sold on the shop shelves. Well, detox teas are not illegal to sell in the same way that you can purchase laxatives over the counter. And companies can actually use the term detox in the UK and the EU, at least, provided that the product also contains a nutrient for which there is a relevant authorised health claim. So, for example, if the tea contained a source of selenium, then they can use the term detox as it is seen in the eyes of the law as a non-specific health claim, similar to full of goodness or healthy. You know, it doesn't really mean too much. Um, and if you do look a bit closer to the branding, some companies actually play on the word. So you know that they're implying the word detox, but they don't always say it directly. And I mean, teas are only one product in a mass marketed segment of the detox ranges available. But ultimately, these are products that nobody needs. Our liver and our kidneys do our detoxing for us. And unfortunately, they, they're not going to give the desired outcomes that an individual will be hoping for. And there are risk factors. You know, it's it's not necessarily a problem in isolation if you're going to have one tea here and there. But these are marketed and sometimes sold in bundles in a 28 day supply, for example, even though they contain laxatives, which shouldn't be consumed for more than 14 days at a time. It's just putting money down the toilet. Exactly. And that's the problem. I think that um, these things are regulated very differently as well. And you won't actually find um, detox teas sold in certain places. And it is definitely, there's a money making thing at the end of all of this as well. And then a final question before we move on to our fact or fiction round. Molly has said, uh, my boyfriend lives on diet drinks and I'm worried it affects his energy. What are your thoughts on diet drinks, Charlotte? So diet drinks, I think, well, like with anything, you know, again, you know, have to put it into context of, of somebody's diet. Um, diet drinks, um, can can be you know part of part of a, a healthy diet but it is about moderation um you know diet drinks you know they provide energy through mainly through the caffeine that contains is contained within them um but it, it would it would depend i mean they say you know it lives on them but you know what what you know how many are we talking here because mm. you know one here and there is not going to make much difference. But if, if there's, you know, a real high dependency on them, then that's not good, you know, kind of a, a healthy behaviour. Um, so depending on the quantity, I'd probably say, you know, that that should be limited. Um, I mean, it's, dif it's difficult to say without the, you know, the context of the, the rest of the diet and, um, you know, what that what that person um, yeah. likes and dislikes. It's really difficult, isn't it? But, you know, we know with, with sweeteners, you know, that sweeteners in diet drinks, um, for example, they, you know, they're really regulated. They're safe for, um, for use in food and drinks. And, you know, they really are rigorously tested. But we do know that the more sweeteners that we have in our overall diets can have implications to our gut health and the, the, the healthy bacteria that we've got in our, our gut microbiome, which has, yeah. you know, direct associations with health and uh, general well-being. So, oh, yeah, it's, it's a difficult, regulation. yeah, yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it, it to answer in, oh. you know, without that kind of wider, you know, information, but yeah, yeah it's, I do struggle. This is the thing with nutrition is that it's the wider context and everything has a knock on effect. And we are, if you put it down to square one, better off just eating a balanced diet. But in some cases, 
for instance, if you are obese and you're waiting for bariatric surgery and you need to lose weight to have this surgery, we know that diet drinks are very useful and a very effective um, way of doing that in a space of time for a surgery. But it does not mean that that is the way you should be living your life forever and that people of a certain weight another weight should be doing it it's all so so variable um we're going to move away from the questions now that are very in-depth and move on to our fact or fiction round charlotte so are you ready i am ready <laughs> let's go here we go if you could answer fact or fiction to the following questions uh, number one smoothies are healthier than juices fact and that's primarily because smoothies generally have more fibre in them than, and the juice strips them away. Yeah, exactly. Um, soy foods like tofu and tempeh are nutritionally similar to meat. Uh, facty fiction, it depends what meat you're comparing them against, <laughs> um, but they are um, the more nutritionally rounded examples if you they're the most closely correlated with meat when it comes to nutrition exactly. you should cut coffee to lose weight fiction gluten makes you put on weight fiction um frozen foods are more nutritious than fresh foods oh <laughs> Can you let me answer this one? It's uh, I know. It, it, it depends. It's it's let, let's say fiction, but um because in general, you know, again, it depends on I'm sorry, I'm not giving you one word answers. It, it depends <laughs> No on, one ever does. <laughs> it depends, you know. I'm a big advocate of you know eating seasonally. So, you know, if you can get something that's you know literally just being picked out of the ground, that is going to be tastier and more nutritious than it is, you know, versus something in storage um but if something is frozen right after harvesting and it's then traveling across the world that is going to be more nutritious for you in general sorry to expand <laughs> amazing love it um marketing claims are tightly regulated oh goodness me um these are really tough <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna say fact i'm gonna say fact um but yeah. Uh, it depends on where you are in the world. There's different regulations for different parts of the world. Um, and there's a lot of loopholes around regulation. And also, they, they there's a lot of, um, should we say, um, people can, in companies can get away with a lot because mm. there's the lack of policing around it, the lack of resource um, around kind of companies being... Uh, held up for, for what they're doing. Mm, answered like a true pro. Um, jackfruit is a nutritious meat alternative. Fiction. <laughs> Jackfruit's probably very yeah. tasty to some people, but um, <laughs> it's, it's not a, you know, high in protein, which is, it's often no. touted to, to be. Yeah. White bread gives you more energy than brown bread. Oh, fiction. <laughs> Again, it depends. It depends what you're putting with that bread and it depends on the brand and it depends. Depends. <laughs> oh, goodness me. I love it. Don't worry, I have two more. You have to eat meat to build real muscle. Fiction. Less than seven hours sleep will likely lead to overeating. Uh, 
Oh, it's a mix of factors. It depends on the person, but there is a lot of evidence to which suggests that less than seven hours sleep does um, leads to overeating in some people. So I'm probably going to have to have to say fact. <laughs> Wonderful, Charlotte. Oh, do you know? That was sorry to put you on the spot. It is, you know, but it is tough, and that's why we do it. Because, as in, you are a true nutrition professional, and you are never going to give a, bl a black or white response to something that requires context. And that is the whole point of the fact of fiction rounds, and that they're fun. It's they're great. Fun I do. loved it. I loved it. <laughs> and I love the fact um, that you you let me put in a bit of context behind yes. it as well. Of course, of course. Um, unfortunately, that nearly wraps up the episode, but we do always finish um, with a food for thought, quite aptly so. So I think I'll start by saying that uh, it depends would be the line of the, of the episode <laughs> today. Um, and the fact that quick fixes and science is science is too complex for a quick fix. Um, our bodies deserve more. They deserve more of an approach that suits them. They deserve more of a trial and error than relying solely on one direct approach and believing that we should be compared to others. It's just so much more than that. And evidence is evolving all the time. And that's why as health professionals, Charlotte and myself will never give blanket approaches. And it may sound frustrating that we stick to public health guidelines. And it may sound like we're just preaching off the same hymn sheet, but that is because it can do more harm than good to biohack your way through life. As, as we've been saying at the beginning, we would never dream of telling everybody to go and buy expensive green pills. It is important that nutrition is seen as wonderful source of variety and energy and food and life. Nutrition is life essentially. Um, but if you could leave our listeners with um, one take home message, what would that be? I think when thinking about nutrition, the bigger picture of overall quality and quantity of food choices is so much more important than focusing on one specific nutrient. Uh, like you say, you know, those super power formulations, no matter if the marketing is trying to tell you otherwise, I think if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, exactly. And Charlotte, if our listeners want to learn more about the work that you do, where can they go to find out more? Um, they can follow me on Instagram. I'm at the underscore nutrition underscore consultant or via my website, which is thenutritionconsultant.org.uk, where there's um, also links to some of my other social media handles as well. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought today. Oh, you're welcome. I've really enjoyed it. If you are enjoying Food for Thought, you'll absolutely love our up and coming episodes. So if you don't already subscribe, then make sure that you click to be the first to hear it every Monday. It would be brilliant as well if you have the time to leave a review and that would mean that we could reach higher highs in the charts and that would result in hopefully helping more and more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 